0: The Southwest WA Drought Resilience Adoption and Innovation Hub acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. It pays its respects to the elders past and present and extends that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on the lands which the Southwest Drought Hub operates. Hello I'm Julianne Hill, Hub Adoption Manager. This podcast series on dry season responses is brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub and funded through Future Drought Fund. In this series we'll hear from growers and industry experts on managing dry season responses, ranging from early planning to tactical decision making as the season changes throughout the year and setting up for your following season.
1: Some farmers, I think with the start of the season being the way it was, cut right back on their nitrogen inputs. So you wouldn't expect much to be carried across to next year. But I guess where there have been failed crops and you know decent amounts of nitrogen were applied, it's reasonable to expect that some proportion of that nitrogen will be made available to next year's crop.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Dry Season Responses Limited podcast series. I'm Shannon Beattie, your host, and this is episode five of the series. That does mean we're nearing the end with only one episode left after this, so if you've listened through to this point, thank you for sticking around. In this episode, we're talking about considerations for growers when it comes to the nitrogen bank and the possibility of retained nutrition after a low crop year. I am joined by CSBP senior agronomist James Easton, who I think is actually safe to say is one of WA's most trusted voices when it comes to macronutrients for crop nutrition. Thanks for
1: joining me on the podcast, James. Gee, thanks, uh, Shannon. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. But uh, yeah, thanks for uh, having us on.
0: All right. So for listeners who don't know you, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, your passions, just you know anything about yourself that you think is interesting?
1: Yeah. Uh, look, at, yeah, I have been around a little while at CSP uh, over thirty years, as you said. I'm, I'm one of the senior agronomists there, and I'm, I'm just passionate about soils and growing things. Just and try, and passionate about uh, trying to help growers get better returns. You know, where they're spending their money, uh, and and trying to have it done in a in a sustainable way. So uh, looking after our soils and being focused on productivity and and good years ahead.
0: Beautiful. Let's start with the basics for this episode. Can you tell me what a nitrogen bank actually is?
1: Good question. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's pretty much interpreted as being a, a, the supply of nitrogen, or what the soil contains for way of nitrogen. So, pretty generic term. Some people look at it as, as in the context of the levels of mineral nitrogen in the soil, but the vast majority of nitrogen in the soil does it in the organic form. So, I guess it's what the soil contains for way of nitrogen. And when people talk about the bank, they talk about drawing down the bank or uh, replenishing the bank with nourishing but perhaps more often with legumes in the rotation.
0: Drawing down the bank, replenishing the bank. This season, as we know, has been a, a lower crop year. There hasn't been an awful lot of rainfall. It's definitely not been the season that we saw in 2021 and 2022. So a season like we saw in 2023 with lower rainfall and lower crop, does that draw down the bank or replenish the bank?
1: It depends upon how much was applied and uh, what type of yields were harvested off the paddock. So, yeah, that's going to be very much a case by case. Um, some farmers, I think, with the start of the season being the way it was, cut right back on their nitrogen inputs. So, you wouldn't expect much to be carried across to next year. But I guess where there, are, where there have been failed crops and you know decent amounts of nitrogen were applied, it's reasonable to expect that some proportion of that nitrogen will be made available to, to next year's crop. So. A dry year of the north of the state, you know, if the growers have gone out and applied 50, 60, 70 units of N and managed to get a 1.5, 1.8 tonne yield crop with uh, proteins you know, below 11%, I don't think we can expect too much to carry across from this year's applications. But in contrast, if they'd applied those amounts of nitrogen, you know, 50 to 70 and got no crop, from the work we've done, I think we could expect maybe half of that maybe a bit more to be available to next year's crop, so potentially reducing our requirements or things being equal.
0: Okay, so as we know, and you did touch on it a little bit then, but growers do have to apply their nitrogen often at the beginning of the season before they know how the season's going to play out, and I'm sure there will be growers out there who might have applied more nitrogen at the beginning of the year than they would have if they'd known how this season was going to go. For those growers that did apply more at the beginning of the year, what has that done to the crop and, and where did that nitrogen go? Has it gone anywhere?
1: Well, it probably hasn't gone too far too far at all. It certainly hasn't been leached in a year like this. There may have been some volatilisation uh, depending upon how it was applied, but yeah, and, and some would have been taken up by the crop as it tried to grow, I suppose, at the start of the season. But, you know, the, the only other losses really, if you can term them losses, are immobilisation, which isn't really a loss. It's a short it, – it's really just type of nitrogen for the shorter term. But over time, that nitrogen, we can expect to come back into the soil as a mineral form. But And there may be nitrogen which wasn't taken up. that will be there for next year, but it may be positionally unavailable to the crop next year in that, you know, if we get another dry year, that nitrogen's not going to be so available. So it really depends upon, you know, uh, where it was placed, I suppose, and when it was applied. But, you know, we look back at some of the work we did 20-odd years ago in the eastern wheat belt, and the nitrogen we had carry over into the, the better year, this is after 2002, the sort of response we had in, a, in some work we did in 2003, it showed that the amount carried across, it did, didn't really matter whether it was put out in front, banded, or even put on, I think it was eight or ten weeks after sowing time, the carry across to the next season was pretty similar from all methods of placement. And it was quite significant, and that, that this is one of those trials where you know we measured uh, when we looked at the yield and protein of the crop we grew in two thousand and three. It was indicating that we we were perhaps getting you know sixty percent uh, recovery in the year of application, which was two thousand and two, uh, horrible drought year. So you know that that's one of the great things about or is not lost. It's not necessarily a short term investment. It might be in the higher rainfall areas of the state where if you don't use it, you could lose it to leaching. but in the dry areas of the state, if you don't use it, it will uh, tend to carry across the future years. So that in itself does de-risk the investment to quite some degree.
0: You did just mention a previous drought year, and it would be remiss of us to not chat about previous years where there has been drought conditions. We obviously had the 06, 07 drought period as well. Is there anything that was learned about... Nitrogen, the nitrogen bank retained nitrogen, anything like that in those years that I guess might have served growers during this season to help them throughout the course of the year with their decision making?
1: Yeah, look, you know, as you'd expect, we did, did see, you know, where we had a better year the year after, and 08 was a classic, and, and even twenty eleven after twenty ten and oh three after 02, they were pretty high and I think at the time pretty much record production years. So yeah, you know, that I think in many ways reflected the nitrogen carryover we did have. After those drier seasons, and we got bumper crops the following year because that nitrogen was, yeah, I guess if you like, in the bank and, and uh, made available to the following crop in, in a good season. You know, other, you know, we've had other, other examples where we've gone back and taken soil tests from our trial sites from plots which had varying amounts of nitrogen, and, and it's pretty clear. Where those applications have been surplus to what the crops have needed, we've picked it up uh, quite nicely in, in, in the soil test results over the following summer. So that's one thing I think you know we can do to get a greater appreciation to what might have carried across into the value we might get going into next year from what we applied this year. But as I said before, you know if we you know even with the dry year, if we're only getting proteins 10 to 11 percent in you know one to one and a half tonne yield environments. I don't think we'll get a lot of carryover, but certainly where you know where crops are being harvested, they're not yielding so well. We're getting 12 to 14 percent proteins. Quite likely, there'll be you know in the order of a half or a bit more of that nitrogen carry across into next year, which hopefully we'll get the season to benefit from that extra supply.
0: As you were talking, James, just then you did also mention soil tests, which was something I wanted to ask you about. I'm assuming heading into next season, testing your soil to see where your nutrient levels are sitting is going to be pretty important when making decisions about how much nitrogen to apply next year?
1: I think so. And it's not just about nitrogen. I think, you know, we're seeing more and more potassium deficiencies around the state and sorry to digress, but, you know, with potash prices being quite high at the start of the year, they're still, you know, they haven't come right back, but they've come back a fair bit. But A lot of growers did cut back on their potassium inputs, and and that might have not been a big deal. But where there's a need, if we're not addressing those needs, whether it be potassium or phosphorus or some other soil constraint, we're not going to get the returns from the nitrogen we either apply or even the nitrogen that carries across. We're not not going to be able to capitalise on that carryover nitrogen. So I think, yeah, that soil testing is a really important tool for understanding what our requirements are and and how best we can manage that risk. It may well be if we're getting high levels of mineral end in the soil tests with the testing over the summer, it may well be that uh, some of those dollars that might otherwise have been uh, spent on nitrogen, perhaps uh, they might be better off uh, diverted towards potassium or or keeping up your phosphate fertiliser rates because all those things, these things can affect the returns and the risk of nitrogen applications uh, next year.
0: Now, I should go back a little bit because I feel like I almost jumped forward a bit there. Let's talk a little bit more about 2024. How does having retained nitrogen impact growers' decisions leading into next season?
1: Well, uh, all things being equal, that retained nitrogen will offset the investment they made this year and it will help underpin crop yields next year. So, yeah, it just really comes down to what's there at the start. And, and look, it can change over the summer with summer rainfall, certainly the last couple of years, not this one just gone, but 2002, uh, 2001, we saw the benefits of a lot of summer rain in northern areas, uh, northeastern areas, which uh, mineralized a lot of nitrogen. And, you know, we are able to grow some quite big crops and I think they were that was a big, big factor in the record crops we grew in 2021, 2022. But the interesting thing is when you look at the data, those crops with that extra moisture in the soil were just as or perhaps more responsive to nitrogen fertiliser. So it is a risk reward game. Every farm, every part of the state will be different, but it really comes down to your approach. And if you're happy with conservative yields uh, next year and happy to target you know, average, maybe below average yields, well, there'd be potential, I'm sure, to cut back nitrogen inputs after a failed crop this year. But it's a long way to go, I guess, until 2024 comes around. But certainly we have got a bit of a buffer in the system with, I think, a lot of country in the north-northeastern areas of the state with the with a dry year and the and the likelihood of carryover nourishment where where it hasn't been used by the crops which have grown this year.
0: All right, I'm gonna change track for a second here. And GGA is also part of the RiskWise project, which is a national GRDC investment trying to understand and improve risk and reward outcomes for grain growers by just helping them with on-farm decision-making. And as part of that project, nitrogen decisions is a really big key theme of the entire initiative. Linking that to this season, what is 2023 going to help us with or what does it tell us about the risks and rewards
1: of nitrogen use? Obviously, if you don't get a crop, you don't get a return from nitrogen, but I'm sure we'll see the benefits of that carryover nitrogen to next year. It's important to point out you know there are still areas of the state that in in the dry areas where we did get quite response you know i'm just thinking of a trial we just recently harvested up at malawa you know yields went to 1.7 tons you know that's that's nearly three dollars back for every dollar you spent on nitrogen. so you know there's, there's such a need for nitrogen in our wheat belt at the moment because we haven't got the legumes in our, in our farming systems anymore so even in scenarios where we don't get much rain or we don't get a yield response we still see vegetative responses to applied nitrogen. so it's a nutrient we do need. It's a it's a nutrient that's very very profitable to apply if we do get responses and the sort of responses we should get, even at today's nitrogen prices. I, I think yeah, as I said before, just to manage the risk, I think it's just all about understanding the need. That's that's the most important thing, the the agronomic need, and then trying to apply that nitrogen in a in a way that's go, where it's going to be most efficiently supplied to the crop. I had not talked about it yet, but you know, again, this is perhaps a bit outside your project that this risk wise project, but Again, this year as as in recent times, we're really seeing the benefit of banded nitrogen, banding nitrogen at seeding time. And okay, that might be committing a bit more up front, but we do find it's a lot more effective than nitrogen put out either pre or post seeding. As an example, going back to the Mudla trial, you know, the top dressing urea five weeks after sowing was only two-thirds as effective as banning the same amount of nitrogen at seeding time below the seed. So where it's safe to do so with good seed seed as a uh, separation, I think that's one way we can manage the risk. Are getting more down at setting time, so we're not reliant upon post-setting rains. To have wash your ear or flexion or whatever it might be into the soil, and we can have that nitrogen under the crop where it needs it when it needs it, and really set the crops up to to capitalise on the potential. But as I said, by and large, there's still a quite a need for nitrogen around the state. We can't forget too that 2021 and 2022, and for many 2020, were big, big. Big years for crop production around the state. Again, without a lot of legumes on a lot of farms. You know, growers coming into this past season, 2023, probably had quite a nitrogen deficit compared to going into 2020 and 2021. So, you know, some of the carryover from this year will have gone some way to restoring some of the deficit we we had incurred over the last two or three years. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great in one way. We haven't lost what we've applied, but it's not like we would have – yeah, you know, with the rates farmers would have applied this year, I don't think they would have just magically have topped up the banks to yeah replenish what had been removed over the last uh, the two three years previous to to this this season just gone.
0: It's definitely yeah. When you had two such big years, it's going to take more than one year to uh, yeah replenish that bank as as you said. Do you think there's learnings that growers can take from from this season that will improve their nitrogen decision making in the future for all seasons, not just for 2024?
1: The big one I've heard, and this has come from a number of agronomists in the north of the state, and backs up what we're seeing in our trials the value of banding nitrogen up front. You know, the type the of year we had didn't get a lot of rain during the growing season. Even crops on paddocks, which had a, um, some sort of a legume background, they still seem to respond well to that extra nitrogen put underneath the crop. So it might be a high rate we need and where, the, where we'd expect carryover. You know, I'm not advocating high rates at all. But I think where there is a need, I think the more we can band at setting time, uh, where there's a need, it's, it really is low risk given the sort of returns we can expect and also given the increased efficiencies uh, we do see from. And a lot of growers and consultants in the, certainly in the north of the state I've been hearing back from, they really have seen the value of applying that nourishing up front in dry years like this.
0: Yeah, brilliant. You've mentioned that banding of nitrogen a couple of times, so I'm hoping that everyone listening has a paid attention to that as are definitely one of the key takeaways they should be are getting from this podcast episode. I'm going to finish up by asking James, and I feel like this is a very big question uh, that might be difficult to answer, but in general, how is this season going to influence the way growers use and apply nitrogen next season and in the future?
1: Growers are a mixed and varied bunch, aren't they? I mean, I'm sure there'll be some who'll just take a, a business as usual approach. You know, I was hearing yesterday, you know, a grower uh, north of Geraldton, I think he was using sixty to seventy units of N. Uh, yields, you know, looking like a ton, uh, sorry, a ton and a half to one point eight ton, in some, with some of the crop coming off. And, and their their approach, which I think is the right approach, is just to maintain inputs and, and keep going as they as they would do every other year. You know, but you know, there'll be farmers right out east, uh, northeast, which you know, there'll be paddocks which wouldn't produce any crop at all, and you know, if, if they've put on forty or sixty units of N, as I said before, half of that might be available for next year, so they might take the approach at the start of the season that perhaps they mightn't budget as much for 2024. But I, you know, I guess we get a heap of summer rain and a lot of stored moisture, and, and we get confidence back into the system, and, and wheat prices stay high, you know, if there's a need, and, and you know where we get stored moisture, I think that does remove. A fair bit of the risk of planting a crop and using nitrogen, it doesn't rem- remove it totally, of course, but it does take a lot of the risk out of the equation. I think more farmers will still be inclined to keep their rates up because um, the returns, as I said, can be you know, still very, very profitable and the risk of not getting a return, well, if we don't use it in 2024, it will carry across to the, to the following year. So we, you know, that, that residual end we get after dry years does de-risk that investment to quite a degree.
0: Is there anything that you would like to add, James, that I haven't uh, asked you yet or that you think we haven't covered?
1: I've probably rambled a fair bit already, thanks, Shannon, but uh, uh, just the importance of testing. You know, it's pretty hard to keep on hearing. It's pretty hard to manage what you don't measure, and I think the more we can understand our soils, the better we can manage them, manage the crops, and it's really hard to have one answer for everyone because everybody's different. Attitudes to risk are different. Everybody's trying to achieve something different, but... uh, yeah, I think the more testing we can do, understanding the constraints, whether they be nutritional or subsoil compaction and wetting or whatever they might be, uh, the better place we'll be to make uh, better nourishing decisions.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, James. I really appreciate it.
1: Great, Shannon. Been a lot of fun. Thanks for that. Catch up.
0: No worries. Thanks again to James for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we do now only have one episode left, Uh, so I hope you are looking forward to that final episode for this series. As always, uh, the Southwest WA Hub is dedicated to sharing information that supports growers in preparing for and responding to dry seasons like we've seen this year, and the monthly hub newsletter is the best place to keep up to date with issues and information relating to the hub and the Future Drought Fund. So that sounds like something you would be interested in. Please do not forget to subscribe by the website at hub.gga.org.au under Hub News. And I will catch you very soon for our last episode. You've just been listening to the Southwest WA Hub's limited dry season podcast series. For further support for decision making through this dry season, the Drought Hub website features a collection of resources for the livestock, grains and horticultural industries. You can find these resources under the resources tab on the Hub website at hub.org.au. This episode has been brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub, funded by the Future Drought Fund. If you or someone you know is in crisis, contact Lifeline on 13 11 14.